Welcome to EdTech Adventures. Join us as we explore the role of technology, STEM, and creative play in education. With expert guests, we'll discover how learning is always an adventure. Whether it's robotics, virtual reality, or artificial intelligence, how do we help students get ready for future careers in technology? Today, Tatenda will share how his work has been impacting the future readiness of kids in South Africa. Tatenda is a young engineer turned entrepreneur with a focus on education. He is currently the CEO of Brighter Futures, an organization that is based in Johannesburg, South Africa. Born and bred in the rural areas of Zimbabwe, Tatenda is passionate about bridging the education gap between the haves and the have-nots. Thanks so much for joining us today, Tatenda. Thank you, Charlotte. It's nice to be here chatting to you. <laughs> I'm looking forward to our chat as well. I like yeah. to start with a question. Can you describe a memorable education experience that you've had as a student? So as you actually mentioned, I grew up in the rural areas. Likely enough, uh, high school, I managed to get a place into a boarding school back in Zimbabwe. But then it wasn't a private school, it was a government boarding school, but it was okay. As I grew up, we didn't have a lot of technologies, you know, cell phones we did not have. And yeah, we were only seeing friends with cell phones because it was, well, not that long, but a long time ago. <laughs> so, but then one day there's this guy who came to school. I don't know where he had got it, but he had a prospectus for this university, which was in South Africa. And in that prospectus, uh, I looked, I, I just browsed through it and I saw this other program, which was called aeronautical engineering. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to apply this. I'm going to do this. And that day, I don't think I've ever forgotten about that day because luckily enough, that's what I ended up applying for. I ended up doing aeronautical engineering, but that day was the first time that I've ever heard of aeronautical engineering or seen it from anywhere. So that day I would never forget. And I'm very thankful to the guy who brought that prospectus to our school. And it was far off. Remember we were in Zimbabwe and uh, aeronautical engineering back then it was only at one university in Africa, which was uh, Vitz University. And I managed to apply there. That's the only place that I applied for varsity. That's the only degree that I applied for. And I got it and got it. So yeah. Wow. <laughs> That's so inspiring. And the fact mm. that you have so much faith, you're like one school, one major. Yes. <laughs> That's where I'm going. I'm curious, what did the prospector say to you? Like, did he have brochures? What what did he do to make you so like fall in love with aeronautical engineering? So when I grew up, uh, I wanted to be I like whenever people would ask me, what do you want to be when you grow up? I would say. I want to be a pilot. So I've always wanted to do something with aeroplanes. But then as I got into high school, I started thinking, okay, pilot is just like being a driver. It's not that challenging. If I'm a pilot and a driver, one and the same thing and whatever. So when I saw aeronautical engineering, I'm like, okay, cool. This has something to do with aeroplanes. And I love aeroplanes so much. I'm gonna, and it's and uh, someone, when I then asked around, people were like, wow, this is the most difficult degree that they have at best. I'm like, I'm going to do this. <laughs> and luckily enough, I got in. Yes. That's right. So you were an aeronautical engineer. Yes. What got you interested in becoming involved with STEM education from aeronautical engineering? 
all right, so I should probably not be saying this. So um, aeronautical engineering, it was very, very challenging. As I said, I wanted something that challenging, but when I got into aeronautical engineering, uh, I think first year I was cruising, second year I was cruising, third year things just changed. And I remember I, I failed a course back then and every, I'm like, wow. That was like first year and second year, I was only getting distinctions, fees and whatever, very good marks. Then come third year, I'm seeing things like, it was challenging, we, I, I didn't sleep, we were not sleeping, we were like, we would work, we would study or we'd be in class until 7 p.m. sometimes, and then you have got an assignment which was due at 8 a.m. the following day. So I think I couldn't really manage then uh, I think that first semester of third year, I actually failed one of my courses. Then I failed another course and I had to repeat those courses actually. And I was under a scholarship. So after failing, if you fail two courses and you have to repeat a year, now they then have to remove you from that scholarship. So I was removed from that scholarship and that means that I had to pay for myself now the way when I was repeating third year it was only two three courses that I was repeating I think so I managed to pay for those ones myself then uh, fourth year I had to pay for the full year and the money was a lot and you know how expensive universities are even in the states there they are very expensive now imagine that in South Africa they are very expensive so I couldn't afford so I then said okay cool this one I'm gonna take some gap years I'm going to try to find some work to do. Then I applied. I became a part-time med tutor. I remember I was working for actually two companies in 2016, one of them, which was Brighter Futures. And uh, the, back then it was, um, it, they were doing med tutor, tutoring to low-income schools in Otang province, South Africa. Then uh, I was working for another one, which was, uh, I think, the Golf Academy or something like that, and where we were tutoring maths as well. There I was tutoring maths and physics, actually. As I was tutoring maths, I remember this other time, this student came to me and she thanked me. She's like, say, you know what? I passed. And they're like, and it's all thanks to you. So the feeling that I got from there, it, uh, I think my passion in like when initially when I was just tutoring, it was just for the money. I wanted to raise some money, but then I, I, I became, I became passionate about education because of the feeling that I got like from a student coming and saying, okay, thank you so much. And someone understanding what it is. So the classes that I was tutoring became fun. I started enjoying doing what I was doing that I ended up going to the CEO of Brighter Futures and I, was, I said, you know what, I see what you're doing here, but I think there is more that we can do, that you can do and uh, get into more schools. And this is the plan. So I, I think I had spent, I think two or so months coming up with a business plan and I showed it to her. I think then I'm like, if you do this, I think um, you can get into, you can get to more students, you can get into more schools. Just like, oh, this is amazing. Gee, I'm going to run it past the board then I'll come back to you. So I was hoping that whatever that I get to work on, if I'm working on something, if I can get paid 6,000 rands, that mm -hmm. should be fine. Then the next week she came back to me, she's like, I showed the, this to the board and they were very impressed and they want you to run with it. So would you like to come on board? Wow, that must have been another <laughs> memorable moment of your life, right? Like, 
<laughs> and I'm like, oh, okay. this surprised me. I didn't even have a degree. Remember, I was on a break. And she said, uh, so how much would you do? How much do you think you would want? So remember, I wanted like six thousand per month would have been okay. That's like I think four hundred, five hundred US dollars. I would have been okay with that. So I, I, I had no idea and she asked me that question. And then she offered me more than three times what I wanted. And then she's like, there's commission on tops and all this, whatever, whatever. And I was like, ooh, I accept. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a lesson there. Don't, don't undervalue yourself, right? Like I've, I've learned that too, but that, that must've been a fun day, like a it, fun it, it surprise. Was. It was, I remember leaving the, leaving her office, I called my, this other friend of mine, I'm like, dude, and that friend of mine actually had a degree, he was he was now working and whatever, and he was getting way less than what I, than what I had been offered. <laughs> Go figure. So, <laughs> so I'm like, okay, cool. This is nice. Uh, then I started working for Brighter Futures and now I'm passionate. We were doing meds only back then. And we were getting into more schools. I think we were doing a lot of good because so, so we were competing with the very expensive tutoring companies and the way that we were charging, we were charging very little, like very, because we were targeting the low income, those who couldn't afford to go to those uh, private schools and we were giving them like uh, the best tutors, the best kind of learning that they could get. But uh, unfortunately, uh, I got this when I got when we when I then joined the company, the management and whatever. I realized that okay, cool. Even though the model is helping a lot of students, we are not making a lot. We are not we are making a profit. We're actually running at a loss. So we tried different ways. Tried to use maths, introduce physics, and also we basically focused on science subjects, STEM subjects back then. I did sciences. I mean, I've got a background as an aeronaut. I've got, I'm an aeronautical engineer. I did sciences in high school. So I've always loved sciences. So educating the kids who introduced physics, who introduced math. And uh, I think in 2019, then we said, okay, this is not making money. Let's try introducing computer science. Yes. We then partnered with a company that was partnered with Microsoft as well. And then we started offering some Microsoft courses. But unfortunately, the prices that we were charging for those, they were not, uh, they were not cheap. <laughs> so the low income schools couldn't afford, uh, like the students from low income, they couldn't afford those. So we had to kind of change our model and make math and science education to low income schools. Then we introduced our computer science courses to the high income schools. And when we did that, we started making a lot of money. It was a success and yeah, then COVID came. Oh, right. And, I mean, we yeah, felt yeah. it here. <laughs> I think clearly the whole world felt it. How yeah. did that impact your company? <laughs> yeah, no, it, 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 it did because I remember uh, here lockdown, I think it was on the 26th of March here in SA. And before that, that, that's when we had just sold, uh, that was the second quarter of our computer science program. And we had gotten a lot of students. I think it was, that was, that was going to be our first year to make a profit. Yes, that, that's pretty amazing. Yeah. That was, and it was, yeah. So, yeah. but then COVID hit, people started pulling out. 
lockdown, we try, we then quickly changed, moved to uh, online learning, but then, you know, with computer science, it, it's practical. You have to learn coding, you're learning C-sharp, you're learning Python. You need uh, a tutor in front of you to be telling. So it was very difficult that a lot of students, they pulled out and we had to do some retrenchment. And yeah, so it was very, it was a very difficult year. And I remember we lost a lot of my colleagues uh, back then. And then I think in September, October of 2020, that was when uh, my former CEO, Joe, then re uh, resigned. And she's like, Tatenda, you know what? You are the one who came up with this model. I would like you to take, uh, to take over from me. <laughs> so how did you feel when he, he offered scared. that to you? Scared. I don't blame very, you. <laughs> very, very scared. I, I was like, but then I did not know what was, uh, what was coming. Um, then I, oh, it's a challenge. I can do, I like, I like challenges, but, uh, I did not know how big of a job it was going to be because from that day onwards, uh, from the day that I was appointed CEO, uh yeah there's been a lot of sleepless nights it has been a rough ride it's not easy being the ceo well tatenda it's almost like full circle it, it are is. you feeling a little like that your third fourth year in, in varsity in university right now <laughs> oh i forgot to tell oh that, yeah yeah you know those other years that i skipped i then went back and finished and completed my degree once i had saved enough money i completed and <laughs> see okay you were able to do that so hey you were yes. able to survive that you're gonna be able to survive as ceo so. <laughs> hopefully you get so, some sleep yes. back soon too <laughs> i hope so too i hope right. so hmm. <laughs> now your website talks about this fourth industrial revolution and hmm. we've hmm. heard hmm. about how past industrial revolutions have affected society in the past Yes. What is the fourth industrial revolution to you and how does that impact your work at Brighter Futures? Well, so at Brighter Futures, I think currently everything that we are doing is focused on the fourth industrial revolution. So the fourth industrial revolution is the fourth. It's basically building onto the third, the third industrial revolution. So the third industrial revolution, that was the internet, the internet and whatever. So the fourth industrial revolution, basically they're calling it the digital revolution. And uh, the, the, the digital revolution has been the third, which started, I think the mid nineties, 1960s, when the internet was introduced, that's when the third started. So now the fourth now is very different to the third, because now if you can see there is like the fusion of all different technologies. So it's blurring the lines between the physical, you can see now I've got a fridge which you can talk to and which can tell you like, this is not there anymore. And so it's kind of, <laughs> so it's blurring those lines between physical, digital and biological spheres. Now, you know, there is uh, 3D print. There are a lot of different things that are happening and the speed at which that's happening is, very different to the way that it was happening in the first industrial revolution, the second, the third. Now it's not linear anymore. Now it's exponential. What was happening two days ago, it's now instead of it being linear, it's multiplying. <laughs> and it's instead of disrupting one industry, it's disrupting every industry. 
So basically the fourth industrial revolution, it represents a new era in innov of innovation in technology. Yeah, we see it here as well. I, like you said, it's global mm. and we feel it exactly. here. Exactly, yeah. Right. When it comes to kids right now, I mean, they're digital yes. natives in this fourth industrial revolution. Mm. What does future readiness look like for your students in South Africa so that they can be successful in this industrial revolution? Well, in South Africa, I think future readiness, not just in South Africa, but then all over the world, it's kind of the same, but unfortunately for countries like South Africa, we are still a developing country, unlike developed countries. So when you think of the future, it's basically, uh, but then since I said the fourth industrial revolution is happening everywhere. So you need to be ready for that, but then you can't prepare people for what you do not know. So we don't know what technologies are going to be there in the future. We don't know what other new innovations are going to be there in, in the future. So in order to, to prepare people for the future or to prepare youth for the future, it's very difficult because we don't know what's going to be like. So we need to find a way of, of saying, okay, how do we then get them ready so that whatever is coming, they don't need to know exactly what's coming, but then we get them ready to be able to then adapt to whatever that would have come. So what we are doing basically is, uh, since the future can be overwhelming, especially if you are a young adult, let's say you have just kind of finished school and you are saying, okay, what I learned in school is very different to what I'm now finding out. I, I, I always tell my students that, that, you know what, what you are learning now, it's very, very different to what you are going to experience in the, in the work environment. So basically what we need to, to, to do is to make sure that we prepare them to be able to adapt and be able to learn different ways or different technologies without need or without the need of just saying, go back to school. So we need them to, we need to, to teach them to be creative as well. But then one word that I would want to keep in terms of that is adapting because the world is changing. I agree. I think it's almost a mindset instead exactly. of knowledge, right? So it's not just like, okay, you need to learn these facts or learn these specific languages. It's more exactly. about a mindset towards how to face new technology. Yes, you have said it all. So it's how to, how to adapt, how to adapt to new software programs, how to adapt to new programming languages. You hear now we are phasing out this language. We now want this language. I can tell you in some schools, there are still, I, I don't know if you even know this programming. Language. There is a language called Delphi. And yeah, in some schools, they are still learning. And I, I so hate that language. I like, I, you don't use it anyway. I can tell you there is no corporate environment where you use Delphi. <laughs> I know. <laughs> <And there's, laughs> exactly. And they're still and they're still learning that language. So it's kind of so you need to be able to adapt so that you can whatever that comes your way now. Right. So how are to... you trying to tackle that mindset or how do you teach them how to adapt at Brighter Futures through your learning experiences? So at Brighter Futures, what we basically focus mostly not on getting them to cram for the exam or to understand the basic fun, like to, to, to understand what, let's say, 
uh, the words, the meanings and whatever, but we want them to be practical, to be able to experience the practical technologies that we have to offer. I remember last year, there's a program that I actually ran where we had students, I was teaching students from scratch to create a drone, how to design and build a drone. So we're doing a drone program I went there in Cape Town from zero, how to create a drone, not just to maintain it, not just the parts, but then how to design it from zero and then build it, get the parts where they can get the parts and teaching them how to find the parts. You need to find the cheaper parts, which are very good as well, like doing all that, <laughs> all that kind of, so we ended up, we built some drones, they flew those drones at the end of the program and they were so happy about that. Though some of them didn't fly, some of them banned, but then it was a good learning experience. So we focus mostly practical, but not just because if you do practical, some kids might end up being bored. So we try to make their learning experience fun as well, so that you don't get bored in class. You enjoy being there so that uh, when I remember when I was going, there was one, only one, two subjects that I hated in high school. There's chemistry and biology. So I hated those subjects, mostly because of the teachers. I didn't want to go to those, uh, to those classes. But then if, if, they, if somehow they were, made, they were made fun, I would have enjoyed going to those classes. And then when I went to varsity, I, re, I thought that I had left chemistry. But then when I went to varsity, I found there is chemistry again. <laughs> I know, it will come back to haunt you. <laughs> exactly. And I didn't like it again in high school. I, I remember I would even sleep in the class and whatever. And yeah, I think from the guys who had come from Zimbabwe, I was, the, I was the only one who was not doing so well in chemistry. Instead, my other friends were getting distinctions because they had done it in high school. So I was getting maybe 60s and oh, yeah, I wasn't failing, but I was okay back then before I got to third year. <laughs> yeah, I was going to ask you if your yeah. struggles in third year of university has impacted how you've designed and directed the learning experiences, brighter futures, basically trying to prevent other kids to struggle to that point. Like, has that impacted how you've designed learning experiences for brighter futures? I think a bit, I actually, I think what happened to me in third year, I don't blame failing. I think it was a good learning experience for me as well, because it was more like an eye opener. It opened up my eyes and I know if I go back there, if I get the chance to have a say in their curriculum, I can help them to tailor it so that we don't find as many students who, because unfortunately at WITS in our school, the School of Engineering, the School of Mechanical Industrial and Aeronautical back then, lecturers would be happy knowing that they failed more students than the other lecturers. Which is oh, so the that's such they, a... it's I, I, I don't understand. I, like <laughs> I that's think... such a like not a learning environment. I feel like that's exactly. the opposite of a learning environment. <laughs> they would compete to say whose course is difficult, whose exam was difficult. So you would find out that in uh, aeronautical engineering, uh, back then it was where you would find the least amount of students graduating. So the people who would graduate in the record four years that you're supposed to graduate it, it would be maybe one or two every year. Others would be doing five years, six years, seven years, eight years and all that kind of stuff. So wow. it was- That so sounds so frustrating. So frustrating. It is. It is. Uh, even now, I'm, I've, I've, I think I've spoken to some guys who are doing their PhDs, masters and whatever. And I think 
there needs to be a complete uh, overhaul of the whole curriculum there and how they are doing their thing in that school in particular. I think all the other schools, they're doing quite well. They like, they want to see as many students graduating. In, this, in that school, they wanted to see very few students graduating. You know, you're like, oh no. Even me, when I talk about it, I, I feel proud to say, okay, yeah, you know what, I'm one of the very few students who then graduated with an aeronautical engineering degree because the rest ended up, the rest would fall down, they would be removed from the school because of failing and all that kind of stuff. But right. which is not, which, which is not what's supposed to happen. You're supposed to ensure that you teach people so that they can pass and go and do better into the world. So that's what we are basically targeting. We are focusing on not making them to pass. But now we are focusing. We are focusing on making sure that they understand, they know, and even whatever they might encounter in future, we don't teach them uh, to cram or to memorize, but we teach them to have an understanding so that they can be able to tackle different kind of problems, whatever they encounter. So if I teach you how to to build a drone today, I'm not just teaching you how to build a drone in particular so that you can go and repeat the exact same steps that I've done so that you can build a drone. Now I want you, if you can build a toy car there, if you can build something else, you should be able to use those similar concepts, those same concepts that I was teaching you of how to build a drone, but to do that, if you are uh, building a TV, use those same concepts of building a drone to build a TV. So whatever that you might encounter, you use the concepts to build something. It doesn't even have to be something related to engineering. Let's say designing something that's related to biology or whatever, you should be able to use those same concepts to design it. So that's basically what we are trying to do at Brighter Futures. That's great. And I, we love using the design thinking process too, because like you said, exactly. it's yeah. used across all the industries. So regardless of where you go, you're going to need it. And I love mm. how you said before that the students felt like what they were learning in high school had no connection to what they were going to experience in the work field. But it sounds like with Brighter Futures, you're trying to bring that experience to them because yes. in the work field, it's not as competitive. You actually be, need to be collaborative instead. And B, exactly. you have to think holistically through the design thinking process as well. Mm. So it's really great you're replicating that in these learning experiences for kids now too. Yes, yes, yes. Especially the collaboration part, I forgot to mention that actually. So we make sure that uh, we put them in groups and they collaborate in whatever they do. We put them in groups of five, three, whatever, so that they can learn how to collaborate. If you see, uh, even in, in varsity, when you go there, they put you in a group so that you can try and learn that as well, so that you are ready for the workplace in terms of that. So we are starting it in high school. Actually, now we have gone, we have gone to primary school as we've gone to primary school as well. We've got some primary school students who are doing Ozaria. Oh, that's yes. so great to hear. <laughs> even primary. Awesome. <laughs> We've taken it to primary schools. I, I, I know uh, one of the principals actually contacted me a few weeks ago. Like, Tatenda, my kids are enjoying this so much. I want them to be doing I want my other the upcoming course to be doing this next year because they are, they are enjoying this so much. So I've been seeing that it's helping a lot of the kids. Right, Tatenda, I'm also not going to reveal my age, okay? But I was learning C when I was learning coding, okay, all the way mm. back then. Yes. And I just never would have imagined, like, 
elementary primary students writing text-based <laughs> code like if you were to ask me 20 years ago right that's just that incredible would, yeah and they're, and they're enjoying it hey so i like the way that it was put in uh i've been looking for something like that i think for more than a year the way that ozaria and code combat did it it's so perfect it's very easy for the kids to understand and uh what to cap it all they are enjoying it while doing it so they enjoy playing the game there so initially they're just playing the game and it's it's fine then they start understanding they start enjoying so th those little when they when they accomplish something and then they're like yeah you have success you know it's it's those little things that then help them and then they they are set apart uh, from the rest of the kids who are not learning at that edge. Right. Mm. I'm glad to hear yes. we're not like your past chemistry or biology classes. <laughs> They're <laughs> no, actually no, no, having no, no. fun. <laughs> not even. They are having fun. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Now, mm. I think you touched a bit about equity when you were saying yes. how your company had to evolve on uh, what students you're serving, right? And we mm. run into mm. the same issues here in the U.S. You've got the haves and the have-nots. For you, what have you learned about how equity is like when it comes to STEM education in South Africa? So, you know, when I came to South Africa, especially when I started working, I realized that uh, the apartheid policies in South Africa, they had a very huge influence on the accessibility and quality of education, which was experienced by the different race groups. So especially black learners in particular, they were seriously disadvantaged in, in that regard. And unfortunately, uh, how many years? I think 18, it was 1994, they got their, the, uh, South Africa got its independence in 1994. So it's more than, how many years, by the way? Now Over I'm, 20 I used to years. I know over it's, 20. <laughs> it's over 20. It's, it's actually almost 30. That's so 30, crazy. <laughs> exactly. And over so many years, they haven't exactly managed to, what is it, to get, uh, to move from that. So those policies, they are still affecting a lot of black, uh, black communities and colored, communi colored communities that are mixed. I think uh, that's, as you said, mixed dress. So mixed race communities as well, they are affected. So those ones who are at, are at an advantage, the white community, they are in the best schools across South Africa. And if you look at STEM education in particular, you need the resources in order to teach. Yeah, let's make it more concrete here. What does the yes. school look like in a lower income school of South Africa when it comes to STEM education and technology there? So let me go to the low income, which are in townships and all that. So they, they can have a computer. They have got computers for the finance department, maybe the principal also has a laptop and all that kind of stuff. But then they don't have computers for the students to learn. And the students going to those schools, they don't have, or well, their parents rather, some of them don't even have smartphones. Right. Yes. So how yeah. can they get ready for this fourth industrial revolution if they don't have the tools that are needed in this revolution, right? <clears throat> then if you look at the, high, uh, the higher end, I can compare them to the best schools there in, uh, in America. They have all those things. Like 
I remember I'm working with some of those because I remember this other time I was parking my car. I'm seeing a student come out of this other car. He's going to class. He was driving a Ferrari. The student going into class. <laughs> we, we, yeah, we have that too here. We have schools like that too here. It's just crazy oh, yes. how big the difference is. So that now we've talked about this too. So, uh, and we run into this at Co-Combat. How can we contribute to equity issues in education while still keeping the lights on for our for-profit companies, you know, and, and you said, hey, you've targeted computer science for the wealthier schools and are now focusing on math and science. When COVID hit, unfortunately, we had to stop offering math and science altogether. So we actually had to come out of the low-income schools and then focus on the high-income schools. That's, yeah, that's sad to hear. I mean, it makes sense. But I think you mentioned that you're starting to explore working with the government to find ways to fund programs for the lower income schools. Yes. So what I've realized now, it's no matter how much we might try to say, okay, I'm going to offer our services or our courses for free to the students in low income schools. That was my plan. I'm like, you know what? I don't need anyone to get involved. I'm just going to go there with my team and then we'll teach them. But then you realize that you can't teach them because there is no resources. You need the computers. They don't have the computers. For some of the courses, you need cell phones. They don't have those smartphones as well. So now you see that huge gap. And you give them, some of their parents don't even have smartphones. So they can't, they don't connect to internet. They don't like it's very difficult. So it has to, there needs to be a lot of resources, which will then, let's say we find someone who can say, okay, I'm donating computers, I'm donating laptops for this school. But there's another thing, again, there's this community, which I think it's somewhere in Midrand, it's a town, town in, uh, in Jobek. There's this school, they donated, I think about 60 laptops and they were delivered there at the school. But then the following morning when people came to school, they had been stolen. Oh, I didn't even think about that as and something it's that very, you have to consider. And it, it, was, it, it, it was something that was assisting those uh, low-income students that I was talking about. And someone has the guts to go and take the future of those kids away from them by doing that. Because when I said, uh, the, the reason why I actually remember that prospector story that I said in the beginning, it's because uh, if I hadn't seen that prospectus, I'd pro- I'll probably have done something not aeronautical engineering because I had no idea what aeronautical engineering is. So we are trying to give these kids a chance to know different careers that are there in the, in the world that you, can, you, you, don't, you don't just need to become a doctor. You don't just need to become an engineer. There are other things that you can do outside there. But then now without them being exposed to that. How are they going to know that there's something better? And if you look at the ones that are in low-income communities, they don't even know about engineering. They don't even know, they, they might have heard of doctors, but then they, they see it as something, something that's very difficult to attain. So there go, you might just hear them, okay, maybe I want to be a mechanic, a car mechanic because that's what they see their, their fathers, their parents or whatever doing, or I want to be a nurse or I want to be doing this. So they're not being exposed to all different kinds of things that they can. So 
I believe that uh, there's this story of an ego which I like, which I have had. To say there was an ego which was born, but then uh, the egg was picked by this farmer. He put it in a where chickens were. So when it was hatched, it was hatched with with chickens, and it grew up with chickens. So it never learned to fly, and it grew up as like it. Of course, it would be you would see that this is an ego, but then it grew up. It's it's used to being a chicken. It's used to staying with chicken. So it's going to continue doing this. The chickens do. It's walking like chickens. And then one day, the farm, some the, the, a farmer's friend came and said, "Dude, this is an ego. It should start flying." Then they tried it. Tried throwing it, uh, throwing it in the air. But then it would come back, land, and walk like chickens as well. Until one day, when he, when he, they decided, they they took it to a very high mountain, where they could see some other eagles as well flying there. Then they threw it there. Eventually, it flew. Then it started flying. So basically, we need to take these students. If we leave them where they like as chickens, they will stay there. They will only know that this is this is our limit but then the moment that you then we need to take them out and expose them to different things and once you expose them to different things then they start understanding they start knowing that okay there are some there are better things out there yeah. i don't need i don't i don't just need to stay to become a mechanic i don't just need to go and become a maid i can do better i don't need to it, it, it's not that i'm supposed to just do stem education but there are other things that i can even do that would then make me do better things. So that's basically I, what we need to try and do. It's a big task, and I agree. We it can't is. do it. We can't do it alone. <laughs> like no, we've we also can't. learned, can't do it alone. No, we and can't. I, I think you know, you touched on something that is even more important too. Is that we talked about future readiness, about the sport mm. industrial revolution and getting yes. them the skills, teaching them how to adapt. But even more important, maybe we need to start with this, that them understanding where mm. they could go. Like you yes. said, the part of future readiness is knowing what's out there. And yes. if they're contained mm. within the chicken, like your, your metaphor, <laughs> within the chickens, they don't know about the mountains. They don't know about the sky. They don't know exactly. that they can fly. Yeah. Mm, yes, then they will stay there. Yeah. So, but and then it's a big task. <laughs> it is a big task. So, for us, we've had to be creative. We've formed mm. partnerships with nonprofits and corporations so that the co corporations provide the the tools and the resources, like you said, the laptops, the internet, and the nonprofit, yes. the whole thing with the stealing laptops piece. We partner with a nonprofit who's used to working with these communities. So, they know mm. the best way to implement these resources, these resources and then, well. yes. yeah and then we come in with our curriculum right so it's like a multi-person effort to hit yes. that equity goal so i'm actually trying to push that as well so that we can find a way to collaborate we need the government buy in we need the corporates buy in to implement let's say ozaria to implement code there is not a lot of stuff that i need from my side we just need to make sure that they've got the licenses, they've got the laptops, then they can start learning. And, uh, but then now getting these three together, the corporate, the government and the communities, it's, it's a hassle. It's it a is hassle. a hassle. And it takes time because someone is thinking, okay, no, this one wants to use money for their benefit. This one wants to use money for their benefit. So especially here in South Africa or in Africa where corruption is 
very high. So everyone will be thinking, okay, I also want, I would also want a piece. But what we, why are we doing this? We're doing it for the benefit of the kids that are going to be, they are basically the future of tomorrow. Right. They are the future leaders. They are future engineers, future teachers. But if we don't equip them now, they are going to just be mere. I, I don't. I don't even know. I, and I don't even want to think about it. I think I we know. have to find a way to make sure that we help. We do, we don't just help those the rich. We don't just help the mid income. We go to the low income communities. That's where we are losing the. We we, we are leaving talent there. Mm-hmm. And we're leaving, leaving a lot of talent there. Yes, that's a great. It's, perspective and I found like having the conversation to get everyone on board is like you said we're losing Mm -hmm. talent we need to invest in the future of our kids because that's the future of our country right that's the future of the welfare of our country so well but uh this is very controversial I've been saying it about Zimbabwe my country I've also been saying it about South Africa I'm like you know what if you get people who are 70s 80s to lead you and they are the whole parliament, they are the whole government. They are not thinking about 20 years in the future. They are not thinking about 30 years in the future because they are not gonna be there. I so see. It's... <laughs> yeah, it's, I think maybe part mm. of the future readiness is to build future politicians that have the right mindset that can then cycle back and come back and, and collaborate with us. <laughs> building, building future, I like all politicians, I'm just, yeah politicians <laughs> all right we'll stop there then we don't yes, need to go into <laughs> yes yeah so how do you envision the future of ed tech for students in south africa so if they're not going to think about the future let's we'll think about let's the future about <laughs> yeah yes. what does it look like in your mind and in, in best case scenario so essentially what i think we can focus on more is uh the integration of technology in the classrooms so that's a little bit easier i think that that way is a little bit easier to integrate technology into the classrooms but then now even though you see here in south africa a lot of schools when the pandemic hit i had to do some trainings to train the teachers on how to use google classroom how to use the different technologies that they were introducing we've got teachers who are over 60 years old they don't even know how to use web yeah, so they can't type, they don't know, they struggle to switch on the computer, they struggle to navigate through the computer. Now so you it's... are introducing technology in the classroom, and we've got those teachers who don't know how to use the technologies in the classroom. So it's going to start on the personnel. We need to start when the students are being trained or the teachers are being trained. It has to start there. We have to train them on the technology. We have to train them on different technologies that we will be, or, or not just on the different, like on how to adapt with the different technology that can be introduced in the classroom. Because I can assure you that eventually a lot of schools are going to have 3D printers. Like they need to learn to know how to use those different technologies that, that, that can be introduced. So we need to teach them how to then adapt, how to then get themselves to learn. So we have uh, recently introduced a new training program, which is targeted at the blue collar workforce, which is called digital literacy for the blue collar. So we are training them to be digitally literate so that they can be able to know. We targeted the nurses, we have targeted uh, 
the construction workers because now everyone does it doesn't it's teachers it's the police force it's everyone now needs to be a little bit digitally literate so that's what we are focusing on making sure that they are literate digitally and they are able to then navigate the different kinds of technology so if we touch on the personnel first then we work on introducing the different technology but then i would want i don't want that they would like if you go to any of the private schools that i work with they have all those technologies they have everything that we are talking about and the personnel that they have there they don't just take anyone you have to go through different tests they make sure that they get the best but then now those ones who are not the best, they end up being taken, they end up being put in different uh, public schools. And now the low-income kids are suffering because of that as well. So we need to make sure that the personnel, we deal with it, the teachers, we deal with them first. Then we roll out the introduction of the different technologies into the classrooms. If we have got computers, if we have got uh, digital whiteboards and whatever, we roll them out in the schools. And then, so that one, especially in public schools, that will be the government's job. That will be the people who, like the way that they are actually trying to roll out coding at the moment. I'm at odds with what, with what they are doing. It's not gonna work. I've been saying it since I heard about it, since they launched it. It's not gonna work because you can't just introduce coding to government schools yet. A lot of the schools, they don't have internet a lot of the schools they don't have computers so you can't just say okay we are introducing robotics you guys go here is a curriculum for coding how is it going to work when the schools don't have computers so we need to then start from zero let's train the teachers let's bring the computers into the schools you can't teach coding just from a book and saying okay here is go and learn this go and learn how to do hello world going without practicing it it's not going to work and you are actually making the kids more afraid of programming they're going to think that is difficult programming is very nice it's very enjoyable i can I, I remember when i started learning programming i would sometimes i would not sleep working on it but then i would be enjoying it i would enjoy just if i just see my code running and then it runs there and then i'm like wow yes so i would wait for that but then now if you are reading how to code it's 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 not going to work so right and I that implementation yeah. process is it's bad yeah I sort of like your vision more where you're teaching them how to walk before they run right with with exactly, digital yes. literacy because mm. you want to set them up for success like we've learned that here mm. too we even start with unplugged activities I don't know if you guys try that but literally you're not touching technology you're just yes. doing these unplugged activities to get into the mindset of very true yes like. mm. yeah yeah so education technology is going to take some time in south africa the government is trying to move it at a very fast pace but the way that they are trying it it's um i don't know why but i don't think it's gonna work <laughs> well that's like brighter <laughs> futures is there <laughs> They should ask Brighter Futures and you guys will oh, have like a multiple step solution you, there. Then, then you don't know our government. <laughs> <laughs> gotcha. Well, stepping away from what the government could do, mm. what advice would you give to parents actually who want to make sure their children are future ready? 
So to parents, I would say, please expose your kids to different kinds of technologies. If your child come home and say, mom, I want to get into the class where they are teaching technology. I want to go to this trip where I'm going to see drones doing different things, where I'm going to see planes. Allow them to go, like get them to join those classes. I know some of the things might be expensive, but I can tell you there are free things that you can go on. Okay, some of them don't even have uh, internet, unfortunately, but there are some things that you can do for free online as well. You can let your child go to a library. Some community libraries have got computers. Luckily enough, if they are community, they are locked to go, like they can't go to unsafe sites and whatever. So you are sure that your child is going to be focusing on things that are going to be educational. So there's this quote that I normally like. It says, uh, we can't build the future for our children, but what we can do is to build our children for the future. So we need to start building our kids for the future. And the only way that we can do that is by making sure that they are exposed to different uh, technologies, different things there, so that they are now able to adapt to the new ways of utilizing technological devices, uh, so that the learning experience may be interactive and engaging and all that kind of stuff. So I think that's what I would say to parents, expose them to different things, like that chicken and egg story that I spoke about. Get them to be the eagle, take them to the mountain, let them go to the mountain so that they can see the world, not from the chicken house, but that they can see it from the mountain and see different things, how nice it is out there. Hmm. I think that's something we can all take away from this interview is to let us focus on building our children for the future so that they can be eagles and they can soar. Exactly, yes. Well, I love that takeaway to Tenda. And thanks so much for being part of our podcast. We learned so much today with our conversation. No, thank you so much. It was very nice talking to you. I think I also learned, I learned something as well as we were talking. Some things were just like, you know, opening my eyes on other things that we can actually do to ensure that the future of our kids is better. Mm. So I would like to continue working on that. And with you guys on our side, I'm sure we'll do better. Yes, we are not alone in this. That's (laughs) very reassuring. (laughs) (laughs) All right, thank you so much. No, thank you, Charlotte. Thanks for listening to EdTech Adventures. Please subscribe to catch more of our episodes and leave a review to support the show. For more resources and info, visit us at codecombat.com slash podcast. I'm your host, Charlotte Chang. We'll see you on our next learning adventure.